Well, this morning, we are in the book of Samuel once again, and uh, I've uh, titled this morning's message, Whose Fight Is It? Whose Fight Is It? I'm going to ask you if you will to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 19. And a, a quick review of where we are in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, David and Jonathan have become best friends, right? They're best of best of friends and have made a pledge or a vow to each other to remain best friends. And last time we were in Samuel, we saw that Saul had decided to have David assassinated. But what happened? Jonathan went to bat for David. And Jonathan, whoops, sorry. And Jonathan convinced his dad not to have David killed. And look at what Saul said. He said this very clearly. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Wow, that sounds very definite and strong, right? We'll see. Uh, there's an outline in the bulletin to follow along this morning if you want to take some notes. And the first point is this, the idea of the supportive spouse. And, and this is what it says in the next verses. And this is on the heels of Saul saying, as long as, you know, God, what did he say? Yeah, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. That's what he said. So this is what happened. It says, war broke out shortly after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day, as Saul was sitting at home, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp for the king, Saul hurled his spear at David to kill him. But David dodged out of the way and escaped into the night, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michal... David's wife warned him, if you don't get away tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with the blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair on his head. And when the troops came to arrest David, she told him he was sick, and he couldn't get out of bed. So Michal is the helpful wife, and she helps David. She lowered him down through, out, out through a window. She made a dummy and put it in the bed to look like David was sleeping. And she even told they, uh, Saul's men, that he's sick. He can't be disturbed. Well, it worked at first. So Saul's men report back to him what had happened. Look what Saul told his men in the next verses. Then bring him to me in his bed, Saul ordered so I can kill him as he lies there. And he sent them back to David's house. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. Hmm. Why have you tricked me and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of Michal. Remember, she's his daughter. I had to, Michal replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help. So Saul's daughter says, so Saul says to his daughter, why would you trick me, you know? Why, why aren't you on my side? Like, like Saul's intentions are good at all. And she tells a little lie to save face before her dad. And I kind of get that, you know, she, she did that a little bit. So we know David took off, right? So meanwhile, in Ramah, we will find what's going on because David 
took off there. So here's what it says in the next verses. So David got away and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at uh, Naioth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naioth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived, they saw Samuel and the other prophets prophesying. The Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time, and finally Saul himself went to Ramah and arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They are at Naioth in Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naioth, <clears throat> the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he, too, began to prophesy. He tore off his clothes and lay on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. And the people who were watching exclaimed, What? Is Saul a prophet, too? Now, some of this may seem a little confusing, so I'll, I'll explain as we go along here. So David went to Ramah to see Samuel, the prophet. And he told him what was going on. And so Samuel takes David to, to Naioth. And Naioth was a special place in Ramah where Samuel would meet with uh, his, his group of prophets. And that's where they hung out. Now, I have to address this idea of they started prophesying. And this is an unfortunate translation. Because the word prophesying means they acted like the prophets. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden that Saul's soldiers got there said, and stood there and went, and the Lord is going to bring famine among the people. No, they didn't start telling prophecies, okay? What they were doing is they were, they were doing a form of worship that the prophets would normally do. And it was an all-encompassing worship where uh, it's described as almost like they would be in a trance before God in worshiping him, okay? So that's what it means when it says prophesying. It actually means that they were acting like prophets. They were worshiping like prophets, okay? You with me so far? Shake your heads with me. All right, good. Bob, you with me? Okay, good. The troops came to capture David, but the Spirit of God came upon them, and they joined the prophets in worship. So Saul sent some more troops. Same thing happened. So Saul sent even more troops. Same thing happened. So uh, finally, Saul says, enough of this. I'm going myself. He, too, is overcome by the Spirit, and he joins and it says that the people watching said, what, is Saul a prophet too? Now understand, there's some sarcasm in this question. They're like, oh great, now Saul's a prophet now? Realize that by this time, a lot of people don't even consider him or respect him as their king. He's not a king, he's not a prophet. So they're kind of slamming him a little bit, as it were. This is an amazing passage. During this time, David has been helped by Jonathan, then by his wife, then by Samuel, then by God himself. So what do we learn from this? What we learn is that God will fight our battles for us. Friends, this is God's fight. Now we're going to take a brief time out in my message. I'm going to ask you to stop the live streaming. Sorry for those watching. We'll be back. But God fights for us. And friends, when bad things happen, we don't need to be distressed. We do not have to be afraid. We don't have to be discouraged. When a situation seems helpless, do not doubt God. When we are overwhelmed, we must remember 
that no problem is beyond the power of God. He loves us. Look what it says in Romans 8. Paul says this. He says this, and I love this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love we talked about during communion will never be separated from us. Praise God. In Exodus, Israel was standing at the edge of the Red Sea, hemmed in by the sea before them and the Egyptian army behind them. And the Israelites were in a seemingly possible situation and they were so scared. And look at what Moses says to them. He says this, The Lord himself will fight for you. You won't have to lift a finger in your defense. God made it crystal clear to Israel that he is their deliverer and he is their salvation. And God moved on our behalf. He is our deliverer. He is our salvation. When we trust God to fight our battles, we have nothing to fear. There is no reason to panic and our situation is never hopeless. Even when we can see no way around a problem, God already has the solution. Let me say that again. Even when we can see no way around a problem, God already has the solution. We must, when we, we must trust God and believe no battle is too challenging or too massive for God to handle. Look at what David said, and David had some good things to say about this. He says this, he says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Now, friends, I know it takes courage to trust the Lord, especially when you're going through tough times. But as we trust him, we will experience the victory through our Lord. Do not forget what God has done in the past that we find in his word what he has done in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel, what we see in Christ do in the New Testament. Don't forget what God has done in the past in our church. And don't forget what God has done in, the, in, in our individual lives as a church family. We've walked through some tough things together with our family. And we've seen God do some amazing, amazing things. With God, there are no obstacles, no complications, and no problems that are too large for him to conquer. God is in control of every problem, no matter how big it is. Let's look at some more words from David. He said this, though I am surrounded by troubles, you will preserve me against the anger of my enemies. You will clench your fist against my angry enemies. Your power will save me. And I don't know about you, but I like that idea of God clenching his fist against my enemies. Can you imagine if people could see that? See God standing behind you like this? That'd be all right. I could handle that. But here's the thing to remember. We are greatly encouraged by God's word. And we are greatly encouraged by what he says and how he will be our defender and how he will protect us. But 
God never promises that we will not have troubles. In fact, he promises just the opposite, doesn't he? Look at Jesus' words in John 16. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. I don't like the word many. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I would love for it to say, here on earth you'll have a trial or two. Okay. You will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. We talked about during communion that idea of remembering that this is not our home. That this is just a temporary place. It's a staging area for the kingdom, you might say. It's a processing area for eternal life. We must put our confidence in the Lord. And he will fight our battles for us. I close with these words from the prophet Isaiah. This, actually, this is God speaking in the book of Isaiah. And this is what he says. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. And everyone who tells lies in court will be brought to justice. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the reminder that you are the God of all things, and you are always in control. We praise you today, and we rest in you, Lord. You are our defender. You are our savior. You are our deliverer. And we claim that this day. So as we go, may we go by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we go by the strength of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to share your good news with the world so that others may come to know you as Savior and Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day.